The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress today. I would rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than anyone. He is the most precious one to my heart. 
I want to share with you some things today that will startle you. I pray they will be helpful to you. We're going to begin in Luke, the 16th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring there to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, Between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you should send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. The story of Lazarus in his in his torment now is this a parable i was raised to believe it was a parable but after some consideration i've come to the conclusion it is probably not a parable but is in fact a clear historical statement that jesus was sharing but i'll not argue that point the issue is Revelation 22:11 This is where it all has to end. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Revelation 22:11 Solomon put it in a much simpler way. He simply said, The way a tree falleth, so it lieth. 
the doctrine of the text we're considering is that our experience and character must remain eternally unchanged after death, that when we die, our probation ends. And there's no change that can ever take place in our nature, no change excepting the change of increasing intensity of who we already are, no change of character. And it's utterly foolish for us to think that there is a second chance. There is not a second chance. As a little boy, I heard my daddy often say to me, Raymond, your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, you will be the same person. And then very soberly, he would say, and Raymond, your last day on earth and your first day in hell, you will be the same person. So make sure you go to heaven. Make sure you choose Jesus and let him change you into a new man. Those words haunted me as a child. My dad would say to me, Raymond, you can only take one thing to heaven with you. I'd say, Daddy, what's that? Even though I knew the answer. He'd say, Raymond, the only thing you can take to heaven is your character. And then he would sometimes add, and I'm doing my best to form a holy character in you. (laughs) Oh, and that was a chore. One of the most significant things that I heard my father do or saw him do was coming into the house and hearing him praying for me. My dad constantly prayed for his youngest son. I treasure that. It has ordered the steps of my life. Now, this text that I've shared with you, it looks a bit strange because one half of the text is speaking about a time on the shores of heaven, of eternity. And the other half, on the shores of hell. Now, I'm sure you have, as I have, walked across a bridge and left one country and entered another, or left one state like Delaware and entered New Jersey crossing a bridge. A different government, different elected officers, different laws. But you're the same person. You didn't change in the crossing. When you pass from one government to the next, or one nation to the next, the transit is very easy. So like the text that I've shared with you from Revelation 22, 11, never has a man passed from time to eternity but went over this bridge. Every infant foot, every patriarch passed over that bridge. 
Now, let me share three principal truths that are very obvious as we consider this issue. First, there is coming in a a few years, a few months, perhaps an hour, there is coming an experience that will absolutely fix your character for eternity. A crisis, a moment of time that will fix for all eternity the condition of your heart before God. In this world, we face change constantly. We change friends. We change geographical situations. We change churches. We change constantly our preferences, the restaurants we like, the the stores we shop in. We'll shop there for a while, and then something will happen. We'll need something, and we'll go to another store. Changes. Every breath we take, we're changing. Well, we're going to go right out of all of this change as soon as we cross this bridge. And we're going to become unchangeable. Where our desires and affections will be fixed for all of eternity. If God could just fix this thought upon our hearts if we would just allow the conviction of the reality of our situation to sink deeply into our hearts. For God has made wonderful provision for this change. He's made that provision on this earth through his spirit, through his word, by his angels. But there are also demons There is also the devil, demons in the air. And these demons are bent on destroying you and taking you into the eternal clutches of hell. Everything is provided for you to make whatever change you'd like to make. The gospel is at work right now. As you listen to this broadcast, the gospel is at work in your heart. But evil spirits are at work also. And they're telling you, don't listen to this man. They're telling you he's he's being too rough. He's being too hard. He's being too negative. Stop. Consider what you're saying to yourself. Listen to God, not to these demon spirits. You can listen to this broadcast and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change your heart, your life. Because the day is coming soon when the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the angels of God, and the work of the demons from hell, that work will all be done and everything will be settled forever. Do you understand? We're not going to live here forever this way. This is a temporary place. We are going to come to a place where it ends. When ungodly people die, 
they will have no provision to change in the world to come. There is no chance for an unconverted sinner to repent after death. There is also no opportunity for a sinning Christian to get right with God after he's died. Death is not our Savior. And if you're sinning, and I'll show you before the broadcast is over from the Word of God, if you are sinning, you will be barred from heaven. Well, but pastor, none of us can be perfect. Who taught you that? The devil? A devil in a preacher's garb and gown? It's a lie. We can be washed now by the blood of Jesus. We can walk clean now before Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We can be baptized and filled by his Holy Spirit. He will come in and dwell in us. But you're not going to be able to continue the same old life. Some even teach that those who are lost would very much like to have another chance. No, they don't. The rich man in hell did not repent at all in the scripture I opened with today. In Luke 16, the the rich man did not repent. Lazarus, the poor man, he pled, Will you send Lazarus over here? No. This rich man prayed, but his prayer was not a prayer of repentance. Why? Because he couldn't repent. The Holy Spirit was not there. And a man can only repent when the Holy Spirit is present and moving in his heart. This rich man never referred to the word or to salvation or to scripture. All he wanted was to escape his punishment. That's all he wanted. He had a little compassion for his brothers. But Jesus said, sorry, they have the law, they have the prophets, they have the the scriptures. If they won't listen to that, what will they listen to? Please, if you won't listen to this preacher today, what will you listen to? Please, if you won't hear what I'm saying to you, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to total repentance of all sin. He wants all lying stopped. He wants all cheating and and stealing and fornicating and drinking and smoking and all the rest of the evil associated with it, the gambling. He wants it stopped. He wants the lust to be washed from your heart. He wants to make you into someone fit to go to heaven. And some of you are so angry and so cynical and so bitter. Why? What are you getting paid for your cynicism and your anger and your bitterness? You'll get paid with hell. No one can desire to go to heaven without the Holy Spirit operating on him and in him. 
No one wants to go to heaven out of his own will. When you put your soul beyond the Holy Spirit, it has gone into a state where it can never change or desire to change. You take a human heart out of these broadcasts that I do day by day. You take a human heart out of the convicting, piercing arrows of the Holy Spirit. And you let that soul put itself in the worldly church. You let that soul put itself with strategies for success. And that person will lose all interest in salvation. Oh, they'll want to avoid the pain if that were to come. As one man said to me, I don't want to go to heaven because I love Jesus. I want to go to heaven because I don't want to go to hell. Well, sorry, that's not going to get you to heaven. Hell is going to be filled with Christian people, so-called false Christians. If you put yourself beyond the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, it's the same as if you took a gallon of water and you took it to the North Pole and let it freeze. It will freeze there forever. So no tempting devil can attack the saved after death. No seducing spirit comes to deal with the heart after death. Their souls have been washed in the blood of Jesus. They never backslide and they never can backslide because Jesus said, be thou faithful unto death and you needn't mind anything after that because the Lord God Almighty will take care of you. You will never backslide in eternity. The scriptures teach us that we are going as rapidly as possible to that time when our souls will be crystallized forever. Death does not make a man holy. It does not make a man or woman better or worse. We think when we see sinners in their graves that death has put a black mark on them. They are just, they are just as they were five minutes before they died. Death sends no one to hell. Now, a lot of good people are still in baby clothes in the church. They're sucking on binkies and bottles. They're afraid to use the word holiness. They're afraid to use the word sanctification. They're afraid to use the word second touch. And yet when they die, the preacher always says they're sanctified. They're in heaven. Well, are they really? Are they really? Does death sanctify you? 
Death simply puts God's lock and key on you. That's all. When a a warden at a prison locks in that man or woman, the turning of that key does not make him guilty or innocent. It simply locks him in. Judgment does not happen until he goes to court. So death simply locks a man or woman, a boy or a girl, into his eternity. When you put certain dyes in clothing and then you put certain chemicals with it, it said that you have fixed the color so that you can wash that garment and the dye does not come out of it. You are changing the color of your soul every day by your choices, by your decisions, by your actions. Death is only that chemical fix that forever locks in the color of your soul for what it was as you lived. Think how soon you will die. You've seen the drops of rain fall from a cloud and change into a tranquil lake or pond. From a changing cloud skittering across the sky, you have an unchanging pond of water or lake. We drop into that smooth, unchangeable stream of eternity from this ever-changing life, and it is then locked in. It is fixed for eternity. Now, second, there are two elements that belong to every person's character, every sinner, two, every believer, two. There are four words in the scripture I read for you. Two belong to a true Christian, and two belong to a wicked sinner. The words unjust and filthy belong to the sinner. The words righteous and holy belong to the believer. So you see a perfect contrast between the one and the other. Unjust, righteous. Perfectly opposite. Filthy and holy. So the sinner is opposite to the believer. So all character is described in the Bible as having two sides. You will find that sin has two sides to it. That is what the church has not yet learned. The reason we do not understand salvation better is that we don't understand sin. All sin has two parts. One is unjust and the other is filthy. Every unconverted soul has those two parts. The word unjust means not just. Not only that it is dishonest, but it's out of harmony with the law of God. Hence, he is guilty in the eyes of God. For every sin you commit, you are making yourself more unjust. Before God, you are filling the cup of wrath 
that God is keeping track of, that he's keeping inventory of. And when your cup is full, you will die. You cannot commit any sin without being unjust in God's eyes, in the eyes of his law, outwardly or inwardly. Filthy also. We have not only our actual sins, but our original sin. Not that we sinned as a baby, but that seed of sin is planted in us from our father and our mother, Adam and Eve. Sin may be by act or by nature. Every heart by nature is impure and unclean. The soul, the personality is unclean before you even commit a sin. Suppose a man could live 50 years and never commit a single sin. That's impossible, but suppose he could. Still his heart would be unclean without salvation. He is born with a sinful nature. That's what we read in Romans, the second chapter. So when people commit sin, they not only add to their sin, but to their uncleanness. If you shoot an arrow into a white wall, it will not break the wall, but it will soil the wall. It will scar the wall. It will stain the wall. Now, for every single person who commits sin, they not only break the law, but they add to the impurity of their moral nature. And unless the unconverted get a change brought about in their soul that will totally transform them, to metamorphose them, and metamorphose their whole moral nature, they cannot enter into heaven. Salvation is not reformation, but a divine change wrought in your, aff- in your affections, in your heart. You are purged by divine grace so that you will love and think and feel differently, and every stream from your soul will proceed with a different fountain. There are two words for the believer. He is righteous as opposed to the sinner's unrighteousness. So religion has two sides, a two a twofold thing, as as it says in first John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does God use these two words here? Because God knows the Bible speaks of pardon and purity. Two words for the sinner, two for the saint. The word righteous, meaning innocent, everything put right, upright and downright. A great many say, I want to be better and think that religion is a means for me to be better. You may do better and better and still go to hell. So suppose a man tells a lie 10 times a day. And he says, look, I want to do better. I only tell five lies a day now. He's still a liar. 
He's still hellbound. The Bible does not say do better. The Bible says do right. The word righteous means harmonious with the law of God. The word holy means harmonious with the nature of God. Conversion makes a man in harmony with God. The cleansing puts him in sweet harmony with the very nature of God and the law of God. So if you will repent of your sins, whether one or one million, and believe on Jesus Christ as your only present Savior, every sin will be wiped out by the sponge of Calvary, and you will stand as innocent in the eyes of the law as though you had never sinned. You will be made righteous for real. Your heart will be free from guilt. It will be in harmony with the law of God. For when God justifieth, when God makes righteous, who can condemn? Pardon makes you straight before the law, and the word holy belongs to the believer. This word does not reflect or refer to the law or to a man's upright behavior, but instead to the very instincts of his nature, the inward purity of his heart, his desire, his will. Man has a nature that lies back of his will. And love and moods and the word holy means to be pure in the very nature of our souls. It means one is blessed in covenant with God. God's nature is love. He hates all sin, and a holy heart hates it. So as a sinner has two parts, God's people also are to be made righteous before the law and made holy in their nature. Now, when these two men, the good man and the evil man, die, when they go into eternity, they carry with them in themselves the elements of future suffering or future joy. The sinner is unjust and filthy. He's unclean. And if he dies thus, he carries in him the elements of the twofold sufferings forever. There is a local heaven and a local hell, a place where the evil are congregated and a place where God's people are assembled. Now, you've asked often what happens when a man dies. Well, first of all, when a man or woman dies, he is locked forever into who he is when he dies. He is locked forever into that character that he has formed through the years. If it is chains of sin that bind him, he goes into eternity bound in chains. If he has been released set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, has been transformed into a new person. Then he goes into eternity to enjoy that freedom. Elijah and Moses have their glorified bodies today. And Jesus is there. And the saints are there. They're not in the last heaven. Someone actually asked a brother if he believed in an intermediate place. Some get the idea that when the wicked die, they go into the final place of hell and pain. 
and into the final heaven if they're saved. I don't find that taught in the scripture. They don't go there until the appointed time, which is the day of judgment. The lost are carried to a dark realm to stay there until the judgment day. They cannot be judged until the day of judgment. There is a locality where people are carried from their death. When an ungodly person dies, he is born into the region of despair reserved unto the judgment day, and he carries there the elements of his suffering. All who do not enjoy the faith of Jesus, unless you obtain that salvation, you have in your own heart the latent forces of your future woe and pain. A great many do not realize that there is a hell. You are too much occupied. Your ears and your eyes are filled with other things. Ten thousand things crowd in upon you so that your conscience may be guilty and your heart be vile, and yet you stifle your conscience and smother your soul. You get so immersed in your business that you forget you have a soul. But someday you will get sick and you will think it is only a trifling spell. But you will get worse and worse and then you will die. You think, I don't have time to die. I have work to do. Rush, push, get on with it. No time to be sick. No time to die. But the devil with death has an icy hand on your pulse. You'll give a few shuddering spells and you will die and your soul will go out. It will hover over your body perhaps a few moments and your soul eyes open and you find you are dead and an iciness steals over you and you are beyond the Holy Spirit, beyond loved ones. You are beyond all sunshine and an eternal frost settles down upon you, and all of your refined moralities will blasphemy. A black angel will bear you on against your will amid the silence of eternity, and will bear you down, and there you will find yourself no flesh, no blood, no newspapers, no internet, no cell phone, no money, no clothing, no furniture to, to feed your pride, no glass to drink, no cigarette to smoke, no cigar to puff on. They will have all vanished like a myth, unclothed, a solitary ghost without anything to do or to think except to think of the past with remorse, of the future with revenge, and of God with terror, utter loneliness. And I am telling the truth. It is coming, and you cannot stop it. You are on the way to that place right now, You will think until your mind reels 
and you will think until your heart rise in anguish. And though they be no external whore, you will have in your own breast the elements of everlasting anguish. Oh, what fools! To let a few things of flesh and blood drown us, when in a few years you have to go out and live all alone in that abyss of whore. And when the good man dies, his will is made. He's given all to Jesus. Have you made your arrangements for eternity yet? It is all it is all to be given to Jesus. So when you are called upon to die, it may be a surprise, but it will not be grief. As your spirit passes out of the frail, sick body, You're embraced by the buoyant form of a waiting angel. You won't have to fly to heaven. The beggar was carried by the arms of the angels. And as you are borne aloft, you will take your place in the bright bowers of bliss. But suppose there is no glory of of bliss. Suppose there are no harps of gold. It doesn't matter. You carry within yourself the elements of your own joy in Jesus. You are not only righteous, but you're also pure. And you can soar and sing unto him who has loved you forever and has washed you in his own blood. Unto him be glory and power and dominion forever. You see, my brother, my sister, you only have one soul. That's all you have. You can't take anything with you. You can't take your money. If you're not using your money now to advance the kingdom of God, That's why I come at the end of every month and I say, please, brothers and sisters, would you help with the work of the gospel? Many of you open your hearts and you help. And I thank you. Thank you. But many of you turn aside. You're too busy. You don't want to be bothered. You have only one soul. It's all you have. It is worth everything to seek the salvation of your soul, to make sure that you go to heaven, to make your calling and your election sure. In Romans, the sixth chapter, I'll read verse five. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, If we have been united together in the likeness of his death. What was the likeness of his death? He was hung on that cross bare naked. He was pierced for our transgressions. He gave up everything for you and me. If we are united with him, it means we have literally made the decision we are no longer going to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We have made the decision we are not going to lie again. We are not going to fornicate again. 
We are not going to give ourselves to the wicked entertainment of this world ever again. We are going to keep our eyes upon Jesus, and we are going to allow him to totally transform us into his likeness. Salvation only comes by the power of the blood of Jesus. It's not a self-help process. It's not something you do by yourself. There's no way you can improve yourself sufficient that you can go to heaven. Jesus said to the Pharisees, unless you're, he said to the disciples about the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, the only way you can enter the kingdom of God is for God to put himself his righteousness into you by baptizing you in the water and the blood by the Holy Spirit to be in Jesus. You must be made righteous. You must be made holy with no sin. Oh, pastor, you're getting really serious now. I am. Because I want you to go to heaven. I want you to understand your soul is at stake. Your cynicism, is it worth keeping you and sending you to hell? Your bitterness and your anger, is it worth your your pride, your selfishness, your greed? Is it worth going to hell for? Some people think nothing of stealing from somebody else. They see it, they want it, they take it. They say, I need it more than he needs it. Theft. Hell. He says, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That is, if we've been crucified with him, we'll be like him in his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, that is that the sin nature itself, was crucified with him. And the body of sin done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Now, please, did you catch that? If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. If you believe that you're going to live with Jesus, but you have not died to your sin, you have been deceived. Only the person who has died to his sin by the power of the blood of Jesus and has been transformed into a new creature in Christ, only that person will be brought forth in the resurrection of life. Have you died to your sin? And please, you cannot work to overcome your sin. You can never overcome it that way. There's only one way given in Scripture to die to sin, and that is to die to yourself and to live for Jesus. That's it. 
You cannot participate in the resurrection of Jesus if you have not participated in his death and let go of resentment and let go of bitterness and let go of judgments and accusations. Let go of greed and hardness of heart. If you're unwilling to do those things, you can't be saved. You have to be saved from your sin. First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. If you are a work of the devil, when Jesus comes the second time, you will be destroyed as a work of the devil because you never allowed Jesus through the Spirit to enter into your life and transform you into his likeness. You insisted it had to be your way. And it can't be your way. I have one more scripture I need to share with you. It's found in Colossians, the third chapter. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked. Are you walking in that disobedience today? My brother, my sister, come out of it in the name of Jesus. I call you out of darkness. I call you to lay everything on the altar of burnt offering before God. Romans 12, the first verses. Become a living martyr. Be transformed. Be metamorphosed into a new creature in Jesus. He's offering it to you. He's calling you. But if you're set in your religious habits, you're set in your judgments, you're set in doing what you think you want to do, You're surviving. The day will come when you will not survive. Your soul will be cast into perdition. Oh, Lord, I plead today for every person listening to this broadcast that this word I've spoken of being frozen and fixed forever at death would startle their heart. And they would recognize that they must deal with their sin now in the name of Jesus. And they must gain the victory through the cross and be crucified with you, Jesus. Lord, please, please, I plead for these precious ones that they would see your love and your kindness and your mercy and they would turn to you before it is eternally too late. Lord, every day I read and hear and see men and women slipping across that bridge into eternity, and most of them are hellbound, even pastors and teachers and church members. Lord, have mercy. Lord God. Lord, have mercy. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. 
I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to talk some this week about the National Prayer Chapel. We are refocusing, praying through, reorganizing. I can't tell you how wonderful Sunday was as we shared the Word of God with each other. It was a time of of wonderful fellowship with Jesus. I'll talk more about it this week. You're welcome to come. If you're serious about Jesus and you want to get in the boot camp of the Holy Spirit school, it's real business. It's not play church. It's serious church. So if you'd like to be a part of that, call me, 703-489-1785, and I'll talk and pray with you. Well, I'd like to hear from you. December is going by very quickly, and we're going to need to cover the cost of radio for this month. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm looking for some of you precious brothers and sisters to give this week on nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. I love you. We walk by faith and not by sight. I'll talk to you soon. From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ alone.